Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, October 26th, we're studying Joshua chapter 12, verses 1 to 24. The narrative of the conquest of the promised land has come to a halt, and the book of Joshua now turns to list the kings defeated by Israel under Moses and Joshua. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Pastor Dandy, I think this is a turning point in the book of Joshua. At the end of chapter 11, the land had rest from war, and now we get a list of kings in chapter 12 before much of the rest of the book deals with the allotment of the land, how it gets divided up. So, give us some context as we prepare to start looking at a bit different material in Joshua. What should we know about what's come before and what we're going to encounter in this chapter? Yeah, so up to this point, it really has been telling the story of uh, God's people entering into the land of promise, right? And, and when we, we think about this, and, and maybe it's most helpful to think about this going all the way back to you know Genesis chapter 11 and 12, where where we have God's promises to Abraham, right? That, um, uh, you know, when we remember God's promise to Abraham that he, he would have a son and that he'd have descendants and all of that, but also there was this promise of, of land, right? That, that the land that God shows to Abraham would be the land that this nation of descendants he would have would someday inhabit. Uh, but of course, Abraham didn't didn't get to live um, and in his lifetime, at least, didn't get to see all of that brought to fruition, right? Um, he uh, um, uh, he was a sojourner in a foreign land, and he he was continually dealing with that reality. He was dealing with the heathen pagan kings um, uh, all around him, trying to, to uh, make life work with that. We see that Isaac has some of these same issues, uh, and, and it goes all throughout uh, God's people as they're, they're continually a, a people without a land to call their own. Uh, and yet, yet God is faithful. Um, God is going to do what he promised to do um, all the way back with Abraham. Uh, he, he multiplies the people of Israel. We see that in uh, Exodus chapters one and two, that, that the people of Israel who, who uh, were um, pilgrims, so to speak, in Egypt, um, end up uh, multiplying, giving birth, growing as a people to the point where even Pharaoh um, and all of his might was, was afraid of them. Uh, and now we've seen them go through the Exodus and then in Joshua, we see them enter into this land. But now there's there's this big issue um, because the land is inhabited. It's ruled by these uh, these kings of these city states that um, have their own little kingdoms, their own little fiefdoms. And um, uh, uh, not all of them are going to surrender to Israel 
readily. And so as we've gotten up to this point in the book of Joshua, um, it's been all about uh, defeating these kings, um, taking this land. Um, and as we see this, uh, we also see that this is a story of um, Israel living by faith in that promise from God. Um, as as God says, go into the land. Um, uh, everything, uh, you know, when we see this example, maybe with uh, the taking of Jericho, um, that everything in Jericho was be to, to be devoted to, to destruction, that they weren't to, to take loot, they weren't to take spoil, they weren't to enrich themselves from the people of Jericho. Um, and and once again, that requires faith, um, uh, that requires trust that God's going to continue to provide for the people, that God's going to continue to help them conquer the land, that God's going to guide them through this. And we see that that the primary actor in all of this conquest is God, um, the king of glory. Yeah, um, you know, and and Yahweh, the Lord, um, uh, is is leading his people in victory, uh, and the kings of the earth are crushed. And and so that's kind of what chapter 12 is all going to be about now. It's going to be reviewing um, uh, the victories that God has won over the kingdoms of this world. Um, and as we see that, uh, God's going to ultimately be keeping his promise. He's going to be demonstrating his faithfulness um, all the way back to those promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's now going to be demonstrating it, and what God has promised is going to come to full fruition. And that's what we're we're at right now is they're going to uh, list the victories that they've had and then also um, show that the, the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel, are all going to take their share of this inheritance. So it, Joshua chapter 12, just glancing over the chapter right now, is a list of names. And as you've already alluded to, a list of kings of various cities. You don't even get the names of all the kings. Sometimes it's just the king of a particular place. But by and large, the text is a list. This is one of those chapters in the Bible where if you're doing one of those plans where you're just reading straight through the Bible, you look at it and you think, oh, I don't know if I want to read all of this. Or if I do read it all, I'm not sure what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, this is Pastor Dandy is a guest on Sharper Iron, a regular guest in particular. You you get a, a regular email about every other month and and here's the text that you get to get. And you got assigned Joshua 12. <laughs> you didn't get Jericho. Yeah. So just with that in mind, that sometimes a chapter like this is discouraging and in it's maybe more difficult to read. Just in general, when you approach a chapter of scripture like this, how, how should we approach this as Christians? One that seems maybe a little, it's, it's just dry. It's just names. How do we take this and, and use a chapter like this as Christians? Well, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you, you remember that old quote from, uh, I think it was Gearhart who said, you know, we, we should view the scriptures as if every word was penned in the blood of Christ. Right. Um, and, and as we, we think about that, um, and as we maybe seek to find context or application for this text in, you know, here as 21st century Christians in America, um, uh, maybe, maybe the thing to, to remember is that, you know, these are all kings who did everything they could to thwart the purposes and the plans of God. Um, and, and, you know, as we, as we maybe even broaden out the, the context of this story, you know, who are the people of Israel? 
well, well they're, they're the chosen people in whom God has this particular uh, calling to be the ones who bear the Messiah into the world, right? Um, you know, maybe if you even think about somehow the church fathers think about Jacob's ladder, right? Uh, as a, every generation of the children of Israel leading up to the birth of Jesus is like a rung on that ladder, as as God is is building His stairway from heaven, so that He can come down from heaven, He can descend from on high, enter earth, and redeem us from our sins. And so, um, even as these kings see the kingdom of Israel or the people of Israel um, marching into their land, um, uh, they they are marching against the Church of God. They're they're marching against the the salvation of sinners, uh, and even if they aren't fully aware of it, they're. They're allying themselves with the elementary forces of this world, of what St. Paul calls basically uh, the forces of evil, the sin, death, the power of the devil, right? Um, all of these things. Um, and so as we remember that, we, we, can, we can look at this chapter um, after reading, you know, chapters 1 through 11 and, and reading about these really fantastic victories that God has given the people of Israel. I mean, he, he stops the sun in the middle of the sky. He, he hurls stones down from heaven. Um, uh, you know, he topples the walls of the kingdom of Jericho. Like we, we see all of these events and, and, and what should have these, these kings and these nations have done as the people of Israel were marking, uh, marching in, they should have said, well, we can't stand against this. This is the God of Israel. This is the, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the, the Lord of all creation. And they should have um, done maybe what the Gibeonites did uh, uh, back in chapter, I think it was chapter nine or 10, where they would have said, okay, we know we can't stand against this. What can we do to make peace with you? What can we do to, to know your God? Um, and, you know, and, and they, they kind of even take the approach of, it's better to be a doorkeeper uh, uh, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness, right? Uh, and and so as we think about this, I, I think as we face the world today, um, you know, it can be very intimidating because there are powerful people, there are powerful nations, there are kings and rulers and prime ministers and governments and all of these things, uh, CEOs and major corporations, and, and you know, it, it's easy for the little Christian who's in the, the little congregation in the middle of nowhere to feel absolutely helpless. Um, but as we, we look at this, we see that the, the kings of this world, that they do not prosper over the purposes and the plans of God. They do not prosper over the power and the work of our Savior. And, and and that's really what this is all about. Who really is the king? Who really is the one who rules over heaven and earth? Who really is the one um, who saves and redeems and keeps his promises? Who really is the one who, who has a, a greater kingdom and a greater land for the people of God? And, you know, we know that answer is Jesus. Um, and, and, you know, that's the same God that led these people of Israel into their victory. Um, it, it, is, it is the Lord. It is Yahweh. It is, it is the God of the Old Testament who for us is the God made flesh, 
And, and so as we, we try to piece uh, these chunks together as we, we look at, okay, the, the king of Jericho won, the king of Ai won, so on and so forth. And we see that these kings are all, you know, uh, conquered in their due order. Um, well, well, that's because it, they're not conquered because Israel is so tough and they're not conquered because Joshua is such a great leader. They're, they're conquered because they, they were foolish enough to stand against the Lord. Um, they are conquered because um, uh, God is not going to suffer um, rivals um, uh, and and uh, um, God's not going to um, allow um, the the rulers of this world to prosper forever. Um, God's going to rule. Uh, he is the true king. And so we bear all of that in mind as we dig into this text and maybe talk about some other um, maybe theological themes that we see in here. Let me before I before I go into the text, I, I have a, a thought. Tell me because I, I appreciate the way you laid that out, and as as you've kind of already noted for us, this is a list of kings who are defeated by the Lord. You know, Israel was he used Israel to do that, and not every list in the Bible is the same. So, a genealogy, for example, is doing a different thing than this list, than is doing a different list of say temple servants or, or things like that. So, different mm-hmm. lists do different things. Here we have a list of kings who who are defeated. As you were talking about kind of what what that means, this was this was a thought that that came to my mind to, to maybe try to put ourselves into the position of the Israelites reading this. So that we can appreciate it. So, yeah. so bear with me on this, but I, I think this this may be helpful. So, in in two thousand five, and then into the January of two thousand six, the Texas Longhorn football team went undefeated. Vince Young was the quarterback. I think I was at Concordia Austin at the time, and I think maybe you were too. I, I was. Yesterday. I was. I remember. That. Okay. So, so you remember this, right? Mm-hmm. And and you, I mean, if if you are a Longhorn fan, that was just a huge year for you. And and to watch the Longhorns win every single game that year, to go undefeated, and even beat the USC Trojans in the national championship game, it was just a, a huge thrill. And so, after all that was said and done, there's all kinds of merchandise that gets you know sold for a national championship, including championship DVDs in, in which you can rewatch, you know, the national championship game. <laughs> and even now, you know, you can go on to, you can go to Google and you can Google 2005 Texas long run football team, and you can pull up the Wikipedia page and you can pull up their record from that year. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can see every single victory that they had. And if you're a, a Texas Longhorn fan, all of that is going to recall for you all the, the good things that happened that year for the Texas Longhorns It in just marvelous ways. Okay. Now, I, I wonder if, and again, that, that maybe, I don't mean to be impious, but perhaps that's something, if, if we can experience it in that way. So you substitute whatever best season your football team or baseball team ever had, and the, the memories that you have of that, substitute that and think about reading through a list of all their victories. Something like that, but 10,000 times better <laughs> is is going on here in Joshua chapter 12. As the people of Israel hear all these kings who are defeated in the list, they are to recall, and this is where it's it's different than, than our sports victories, 
they're to recall not how wonderful they were in the battle, but how how wonderful the Lord was in delivering these kings over to them. And, and this becomes then an opportunity to rejoice in the victory that the Lord has won for Israel over all of all of its enemies. Kind of like when you look up the 2005 Texas Longhorns on Wikipedia and see all their what, 13 victories that year or something like that. I don't know. What do you think, Pastor Danny? Oh, I think that's exactly, you're, you're, you're on track. Um, um, and I, I remember I actually went to one of the games that year. It was, it was, it was a blast. Um, and so, um, I, I remember that with uh, a lot of nostalgia, but, uh, but I think this, you know, um, and I think with the football, um, uh, um, comparison here, the illustration, at least it's, it's, you know, you get that nostalgia that, um, the Longhorns at one point in time were the best, right? Um, uh, but I think it goes uh, many steps beyond that here with this list right. um uh you know uh because what do we base our hymns of praise upon you know you, you maybe and you think of moses and miriam singing their hymns on the other side of the red sea well what are they basing that upon it's not this this blind praise that oh god you're you're god and you're great right but it's it's really god you did this you did this for us, right? Uh, and even these events uh, in particular, you, you think of, um, I think is it, was it Psalm? Oh, let me think here. Psalm, I think 140, 146 maybe. Um, is that the one I'm thinking of? Uh, but it, it talks about um, uh, uh, God uh, executing justice, right? Um, and, and maybe actually the one I'm thinking of in particular is, here, let me pull out my, uh, handy dandy logos here um and 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 remember okay who is the one uh are really in particular what are these hymns of praise all about um and they're about um what god did for us um and and even in the psalms i think it is psalm 146 um where we remember even og and bashan they're they're mentioned there these kings that are conquered um, because, well, God is victorious. Um, uh, God does what he says he's going to do. And this is what God did for his people. This is what God did to keep his promise. Um, uh, and so you look at the hymns of praise throughout all of the scriptures. They're, they recount the mighty deeds of God because they're glorious. They, they, they reveal his steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, they, they show his power over the kingdoms of this world. And, and that's something that maybe we should uh, remember um, when we go through lists like this. Um, uh, and, and, and maybe even we can liken that to reading the, the genealogy uh, of Christ, right? When, you know, you, you look at uh, the genealogy of Matthew 1 or I think it's Luke chapter four, um, where we have these genealogies of Christ and you read all these names. Well, these names are mentioned, right? And, and we see that they are a story and, and a continuation of God's faithfulness from the very beginning up to that point to the birth of Jesus, right? Um, and and, and e even more so here with this event right now, you know, what were the people of Israel to record? Um, what would they have recorded? I mean, if, if I was going to, I, I'd start keeping score saying, hey, God beat this one. God beat that one. God beat this one. They all thought they could stand against the Lord. Uh, and, and God proved them all wrong. And, and that's really 
really something wonderful to to bear in mind as we we look at texts like this is that you know every name every city um every every little tally mark here is just a reminder of of the the glory the power and the faithfulness of god that that god employs his power and his mighty work um to keep his promises and and that's that's so wonderful as we dig into this <laughs> Yeah, there there are a number of psalms that speak this way. I I did a quick a quick search on online and found Og and Sihon both in Psalm one thirty five, uh, but a number of psalms will recount the history of the people of Israel in in the way that you're talking about. Yeah. Sometimes in more detail, and, and sometimes in in more summary. Psalm one forty six is one of those that that does so in a little bit more summary mm-hmm. fashion. But it, it's all over the place, and all of that all of that provides context for this list of kings that we're going to hear in Joshua chapter 12. So let's turn to the text. This is Joshua chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise from the valley of the Arnon to Mount Hermon with all the Arabah eastward. Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon and ruled from Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and from the middle of the valley as far as the river Jabbok, the boundary of the Ammonites, that is, half of Gilead, and the Arabah to the Sea of Kenneroth eastward, and in the direction of Beth Jeshemoth to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, southward to the foot of the slopes of Pisgah, and Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnant of the Rephaim, who lived at Ashtaroth and at Edri, and ruled over Mount Hermon and Salakah, and all the and all Bashan to the boundary of the Geshurites and the Machathites, and over half of Gilead to the boundary of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the people of Israel defeated them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land for a possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And these are the kings of the land whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, that rises toward Seir. And Joshua gave their land to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their allotments, in the hill country, in the lowland, in the Arabah, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the Negev, the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. The king of Debir, one. The king of Gader, one. The king of Horma, one. The king of Arid, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adalam, one. The king of Makedah, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tapua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Lasharon, one. The king of Madon, one. The king of Hadzor, one. The king of Shimron, Meron, one. The king of Akshaf, one. The king of Tanak, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jokneam in Carmel, one. The king of Dor in Naphath Dor, one. The king of Goyim in Galilee, one. The king of Tirzah, one. In all, 31 kings. 
That's our text for today. That's Joshua 12, verses 1 to 24. You get that that sense of tick marks yeah, yeah, <laughs> every yeah. time you say the word yeah. one. I don't know if it's the same way in Hebrew, but just reading that one, one, one. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just like, you know, you're making the marks on the wall right in front of you. Yeah, I, I want to applaud your ability to read through all of that, too, without stopping. <laughs> um, I, I read this with devotions with my family a couple of weeks ago, and it was it, I, it was Maybe I was distracted by my children running around or something, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did, what did your kids think of all the names? Uh, I think they just, uh, just kind of were along for the ride. <laughs> That's so. right. Okay. That's all right. That's all right. All right. So we got about two minutes here before the break, Pastor Dandy, maybe, and I know there's not going to be a ton to, to talk about in particular about every single one of these Kings or these cities, but in that, that first section verses one to six, where you get the, the trans Jordan, the East side of the Jordan river, and particularly the mention of, of Sihon and Og, you mentioned them already. Mm-hmm. Just give us a, a little bit of background on those verses before we go to the break verses one to six. Yeah. And so this, this all goes back to numbers chapter 21, where, um, uh, it begins with Moses, uh, asking, uh, King Sihon, if they could pass through on the King's highway, um, pass through the land on their way, uh, to, to the Jordan. Um, and, and he said, well, we won't drink any of your water. We won't touch any of your food. We won't mess with any of your vineyards. We're just passing through. And Sihon said, no, we're not having you come through. And he actually met them in battle. Um, and so, uh, the, uh, the, the Amorite king, Sion here, he comes in and uh, attacks the people of Israel, defeat him, uh, and they actually then occupy the land. Uh, and then the same thing goes with Og. Now, Og is kind of a interesting. He's, he's one of the Rephaim, the Re, uh, Rephaim, um, which, which in, in English just means he's one of the giants, right? And so he, he is one of these, uh, um, you know, like Goliath. Um, he's this, this giant and also, you know, the, the tyrant over, uh, the land of Bashan, uh, he sees that Sihon's taken out and what does he do? Well, he, he charges headlong into the Israelites as well. Um, and, and so we see here that, um, uh, two and a half of the tribes actually end up taking possession of that land and taking that as their inheritance, um, uh, in this area of, uh, trans Jordan is what they call it. Uh, and. And what, what's really interesting about that is that we, we see kind of the, the aggression already at this point of the nations up and against the children of Israel. Uh, uh, the, the, there, there's, there's this pushback from the world of, of God's work in the midst of his people. Um, and, and even the giants uh, uh, tumble and fall um, as, as this, this this wave of maybe divine um, providence and and divine care for his people um, pushes God's people forward into the promised land. And so I think this is really, um, these these ones in particular, I, I always like try to imagine what Og looked like just because A, he has the yeah. name Og, which you just think that's, right. that's gotta be a big dude. Uh, and then he's a he's one of the Rephaim. Um, uh, what, what was Og like on the field of battle? But um, uh, we see that he doesn't stand a chance against the children of Israel. 
Yeah, that, that's right. Og, Og is the one who had the bed of iron, if my memory is is correct. It, we learned about that in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was the four cubits, nine cubits in length, four cubits in breadth, a huge bed for Og. But not even he stood a chance against the Lord, the King of Israel. We're going to keep looking at this text, this list of kings on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Joshua 12 with Pastor Jacob Dandy. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, October 26th. We're studying Joshua chapter 12, verses 1 to 24 with Pastor Jacob Dandy. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we're talking about the first six verses, particularly the kings that were defeated by Israel under Moses. The text continues in in verse 7 through the end of the kings that were defeated by Israel under Joshua. And there's where you get the, the tick mark one after the other, 31 kings in in all. And we've talked at length about the fact that this is a, a list, and, and yet it, it's a list of kings. You know, there's a number of ways I suppose the text could have been written. It could have been written as a, a list of battles or a list of places, but particularly it is a list of kings. It's not just the, the city of Jericho that was given over, but it was the king of Jericho and the king of Ai, a list of kings. Uh, what's the significance of the fact that it's a list of, of kings as opposed to, say, cities or, or territories or something else? Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it really, really comes down to you know who is king, um, and and really you know who who is not just the king of God's people, but the the king of everything, um, uh, uh, and 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 really, yep. and this is the thing that maybe we should we should think about, you know, because uh, sometimes we read about the the slaughter of these people, the capturing of Jericho, you know, the destruction of Ai, the um, uh, the, the 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 putting to death of the the five Amorite kings of that coalition of of kings there, and all of these other things. Um, you know, really, what should have these kings been doing um, as as Israel was marching into the land? Um, and, and maybe to help us answer that question, maybe we should look at Psalm. Uh, what is it? Psalm 24, right? Where, um, you know, you, you have this, this, uh, reminder 
that the uh, that the true king is coming in, right? Um, uh, and it's it you know we look at verse seven, uh, and maybe Advent's coming up as we we think about that. Uh, you know, this is this is a very familiar verse at that time of year. But it says, "Lift up your heads, O gates; be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in." Well, who is the King of Glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, Who that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, right? And so we have that in Advent when we, we anticipate the coming of Jesus. I think we usually sing that the first or second Sunday in Advent. We sing, lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Right. Um, and we, we also will, along with that, maybe have the, the, the readings for, um, uh, for Palm Sunday read in Advent as we, we contemplate Jesus entering into Jerusalem and vic victory. Right. And we also maybe even have that, uh, when we think about John the Baptist, what's he doing when he, when he tells the people, um, uh, that, that Jesus is coming? He says, make way a royal highway for the Lord, prepare his paths, make the valleys high, bring the hill country down low uh, so that the Lord may come, right? Uh, and, and what's that all about? Well, it's, it's about repentance. It's repentance in preparation for the coming of the Lord. And so, so what should have these 31 Canaanite, Hittite, Perizzite, uh, Jebusite, Amorite kings done? Uh, before the Lord of hosts as he's leading his people across the Jordan into the promised land. Well, they should have cast down their crowns. They, they should have uh, bent their knee. They should have um, uh, 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 said, I, I hand over my kingdom uh, because the true king has finally come, right? Uh, the, the, the king of glory has entered into his land. And uh, I will not stand in the way of this, right? Um, it, it's kind of maybe, you know, even you, you think of somebody being a, um, a, a regent or a steward in place of the king. Uh, uh, and then finally the king comes of age or he comes back from a long journey. And, and what must the regent or steward do? Hand over all the keys of the kingdom right back to the king. Because he's the rightful ruler. He's the rightful heir to the throne. Um, and, and no one dare stand against him. Uh, and, and these kings were all foolish enough to think that they could stand against the Lord. Uh, and so uh, uh, God acts in judgment. He humbles these kings. He humbles these kingdoms. Um, you know, you remember Psalm 2. It says, you know, why do the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's burst their bonds apart, cast their cords away from us. But he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to, uh, speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Right. Uh, and then ultimately it's Christological, right? Uh, verse seven, it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession, and you shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a pot of silver. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. 
Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so, you know, you, you apply Psalm 2 to the kings of Canaan. And we see, well, they, they, they were not wise. They did not take heed. They did not serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. They did not kiss the sun. They did not take refuge in him. Uh, and so, so God was not going to suffer a rival king and a rival kingdom in the land that he has set aside for his people. Uh, and so these kings uh, um, were, were torn down from their, uh, from, from their thrones. And uh, um, God, God takes his rightful place as ruler over his people. Hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it is striking, especially given what you brought out from Psalm two. You know that this is this is the Lord getting the last laugh over these kings, and and it's striking that they're not named for the most part. You know, I mean, we have Sihon and Og in the first part, but pretty much it's just the king of the place. It's not the name of the king. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and I'm sure that that these kings were well known in their own right in the land of Canaan and certainly within their own city. And yet when it comes time for them to be listed here in the scriptures, it's just the king of Jericho or the king of Ai or the king of Bethel or the king of, of whatever town it is. In, in terms of the, the remembrance of their name, you know, as, as important as they might have been, they don't get anything but the king of blank because they all fall under the king of all, the king of glory, Psalm 24, as you mentioned. And and so their glory is, is brought to nothing here. And they just become one of 31 kings that the Lord has defeated. And and that's their that's the most memory that they have, unlike those who who do fall underneath the Lord, who who graciously live and joyfully live with him as their king. They are remembered by name, if not by the world, but certainly by the Lord. Now, what a what a joyous thing for the people of God. And and here in Joshua 12, a warning for those kings, for those who, who would find themselves in positions of power, uh, lest that power become the stumbling block for them and they fail to submit to the Lord. I mean, we could, we could go through elsewhere in the scriptures and find other kings who set themselves against the Lord. And of course, all of this is pointing us finally toward the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. who, who truly is the, the king that we need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, um, now we, we could, we could go through just about every King mentioned in the scriptures, um, and, and find an example of how they are, are at some point or in some way forced to submit, um, uh, to the ultimate kingship of God. You know, um, maybe a good example of that would be, uh, Sennacherib. Right. Um, he what, what does he do? He, he marches up to Jerusalem. He starts conquering through um, uh, the kingdom of Judah, marches up to Jerusalem, has his Rob Shaka stand out there um, and say, oh, oh, don't you pray to the Lord. He's the one who put us here. You're uh, yeah, um, and, and, and who is the Lord anyway? Uh, what was was he was he as powerful as the God of all these other cities we've conquered? Right. And, and what does the Lord do to Sennacherib's host overnight in, uh, as they stand besieging the city of Jerusalem? 
um, you know, he, he wipes them out. He, he drives them away. Um, I think it was like 180,000 or something like that wiped out in an instant. Um, uh, and then Sennacherib is, uh, dethroned, um, uh, quite literally by his children as he's, he's put to death, um, uh, as he's praying before his false gods. Um, you think about Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Nebuchadnezzar was so proud. He, he put this golden statue of himself out in the plains of Shinar, um, uh, um, you know, throws Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego into the fiery furnace, um, uh, has Daniel interpret his dreams and sees the, the great glory and power of the Lord. But yet still, he's not humbled before God. And so what does God do? You know, he he drives him out into the fields. He, he lives like a wild beast, uh, eating grass, uh, drinking the dew of the field um, uh, until he's finally humbled before the true king of glory. Right. Uh, you know, we see this um, with King Herod. Right. And in, in, in Luke chapter uh, or sorry, Matthew chapter uh, one and two, you know, King Herod hears about the, the, the birth of the Christ child, you know, the king of the Jews. And what does he do? Well, he. He, he conspires in every way he can to kill him, right? Um, and, and every bit of his conspiring is met with failure. And he finds himself, once again, before the judgment seat of God. And you see that with um, his successor, Herod Antipas. You see it with Caiaphas and uh, the Sanhedrin. You see this with, with Pontius Pilate. Um, but, but ultimately, you see it with the one who would really say, I rival the Lord God. You see this with the devil, right? Um, as, as the devil says, no, I am the king of this world. I am the one who rules over the dominion uh, of, of the people of earth. Um, and, and what does Jesus continually do with him? Uh, he, he, he dethrones him. Uh, he, he calls his church out from the thraldom of the evil one. Um, he humiliates the devil in Luke chapter 4 when he, when he is uh, tempted and yet does not fall. Um, and ultimately, um, he, he's crucified and risen, right? And, you know, the, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus, you know, it, it does exactly um, what this rival Lord um, uh, uh, was going to receive from the beginning, right? You know, think about Genesis 3.15, right? What did God say was going to happen to that serpent? But that the descendant, the one born of the woman, the righteous seed of God, was going to crush his head. And here we have Jesus crushing his head. Um, there is no rival to the Lord. Um, uh, every king throughout the history of all of creation who has thought that he is God, um, you know, even, you know, you think of Pharaoh where he says, who is the Lord, right? Well, he found out, didn't he? Um, uh, they all find out uh, they are not God. Uh, they do not rule over this creation the way they think they do. Uh, God indeed is the king of glory and all of their purposes that stand against the will of God uh, and the, the care of his people, they are thwarted. Um, and so we, we remember that um, and, and see that very explicitly in this text. So we were we were just talking about this in youth confirmation class recently at Grace. We were going through the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. And uh, we, you know, we talked about the language of kingdom in the scriptures. And it's in, I think it's in Colossians 1, where, where Paul talks about how the, the Lord has rescued us from the devil's domain of darkness mm -hmm. 
and transferred us into the the kingdom of his beloved son. Yeah. So this this movement from from the kingdom from being under the reign of the devil, which is a, a reign of darkness, and that, I think that's how we should understand the reign of all these kings who are mentioned because of the the way they promoted idolatry. Theirs was a reign of darkness, and and so when we look at this list of of kings and how the Lord now has delivered his people from that reign of darkness and and kept them from having to live under that reign, even as he already rescued them from that reign in Egypt. I think that's one way of understanding Joshua 12 then is, is this is the Lord telling his people, you've prayed thy kingdom come. Here's my answer. Mm -hmm. I have, I have in fact reigned as your King. All of these would be rivals have been defeated. And now I alone am your king. I will reign as your king and you can live under my kingdom of light and life. And and that is is great joy. So maybe that's another way for us to, to think about this chapter is this is the Lord answering the prayer, thy kingdom come. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what, what do we think? Um, what was Israel to be um, um, when when God established them as a people in the land, but, but a light to the nations, right? Um, uh, that, that they were going to be the ones who, uh, um, uh, proclaim, uh, uh, Yahweh to the world, right? They, they're the ones who are going to proclaim the, the glory of the Lord, um, throughout the nations. And, and God was going to demonstrate his power, uh, through all that, through his holy people. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, this is, this is light snuffing out darkness, um, this is, you know, th once again, you know, what should have these kings have done when they s saw that um, the Lord was the Lord of hosts was coming before his people? Well, they should have cast down their idols. They should have um, taken off their crowns. They should have kneeled before their true king, their Lord, their maker. Um, and, the, and they don't. Right. Um, and, and maybe maybe we even, even think about this is that, you know, um, in, in light of, of Romans 8, right? When we think about Romans 8, you know, we, we think about um, uh, the, the elemental spirits of this world um, uh, being, being thwarted, um, uh, being unable to conquer um, for the sake of what God has done for us and for the sake of the love of God that he has for us, right? And so, uh, you know, Paul says, hey, what should we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't spare his own son. He gave himself up for us. Will he not also graciously give us all things? And then he talks about, um, you know, you can't, you can't bring a charge against God's chosen people. God's justified them. Uh, you can't condemn God's chosen people. Christ has died for them. Um, uh, and this is the one who sits at the right hand of God interceding for the people. Um, and who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword. <laughs> I mean, these are the tools of the kings of this world. Really, it's, it's, it's distress, persecution, uh, famine, danger, economic warfare, uh, threats of violence, right? Um, a removal um, from uh, any station in life. That's the tools that the kings of this world have. Well, what does, what does the king of heaven, the Lord of hosts, the king uh, of God's people have? Well, he has the forgiveness of sins. 
he has the justification uh, of his people. Um, uh, he 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 has the the clarity and the freeing of their consciences. And so, what does Paul say? We're more than conquerors through him and loved us. Right. This is this is a language of God's conquest over the kingdoms of this world. And then Paul says, I'm sure neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What is that? That's a language of conquest. That is a language of the power and the work of God in Christ. Um, that, that the kings of this world, though they may prosper for a moment, can never conquer, can never undo, can never defeat, right? And, and you know, God's people entered in to the promised land fully expecting uh, that God would fight for them, that God would deliver the land into their hands just as he promised he would, right? It's really, a, it's really the language of faith that that. You know, Joshua and the children of Israel um, trust in God to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Um, and so here you have like little Israel with no king overcoming this this multitude of kings, the 31 of them. Um, and, and it's all under faith that God was going to do what he promised to do for his people, that he would go before them that he would keep his promise to Abraham, uh, that he would do exactly what he said he was going to do, right? Um, and, you know, when you think about 40 years before this text, right? What does, what does Caleb, what did Caleb and Joshua say when the other uh, uh, 10 spies are like, hey, we can't go there. They say, no, we can go there. God will fight for us. And that's exactly what happens. God fights for his people. And when God fights for his people, um, he cannot be overcome. Uh, it's such a cool thing. Uh, God, God really does shine his light over the darkness of evil. Uh, uh, and, and he does have the final victory. Hmm. One more thing about this chapter that stands out to me, the fact that you do have a list of kings here, I think points to an element of, of finality. We, we started off by saying there's a bit of a turning point in the book of Joshua here, where now we're going to talk about the division of the land coming up in chapter 13 and following. And the fact that you get this listing of kings here in chapter 12, it kind of points, okay, we're, we're coming to the, the conclusion of something. You usually don't put a list like this right in the middle. Mm -hmm. it, once everything's over and done, that's when you get the list. And, and we noted this a little bit in chapter 11, that you know the land had rest. Joshua's going to give the people their inheritance going forward there's been been signs here that that things are are wrapping up in terms of the battle we know from the new testament that and really the rest of the old testament as well that the rest that joshua gives isn't the final one because for all the the goodness that is here in this list there are other kings coming in the old testament who will stand against the lord and his people and who will will wreak havoc on the people of israel so we we know that the rest here isn't final but thinking as this list is pointing us forward to that that ultimate rest that Jesus has won, uh, help us to, to wrap things up here this morning, Pastor Danny. We've got about four minutes left to, to think about how this chapter really points to the final victory that is ours in Jesus Christ on the last day when when all enemies are, are under his feet. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Um, and and we think about that, you know, you, you think about the last chapters of Revelation, right? You know, um, you know, chapters 17 through 20 or whatever. And, and you know, uh, God really does give this vision of the, the the terrible and evil power of the forces of evil in the world. You get the the images of the beast, the two beasts. You have the 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 first beast. It's like that political beast that that uh, that that beast of nations, right? You have the uh, the second beast. It's the apostate church. You have Babylon, right? Uh, you have the kings of this earth uh, conspiring and plotting against God's people. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get this really ugly image throughout the the book of Revelation of the maybe the tribulation of the church and all of these things. But but at the final end, what what happens? You know, um, Christ uh, um, with a word uh, has an easy victory. Over all of these things, the the dragon is cast into the darkness. The um, Babylon is crushed, fallen, fallen is Babylon. We 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 hear in the book of Revelation, um, uh, the nations weep, but the people of God rejoice. And then ultimately, um, what do we see? We see Christ um, uh, adorning his bride, um, Christ bringing his church into the the new Jerusalem, the the new heavens and the new earth and the beauty of the new creation, right? And so, um, you know, we have this theme here, maybe of, of promise and fulfillment from God, uh, you know, uh, in chapter 31, you know, God promised that the land would be given over to the descendants of Abraham and here they are, but there's still that ultimate promise and fulfillment that, that we are, we are still, um, living in this world and we, we have some bitter en enemies, right? We have the power of sin, the, uh, the devil, we have death. And what is God doing with all of these things? You know, he's, he's putting our sin to death on the cross with Christ. Um, he is uh, um, uh, robbing death of any victory by his resurrection and the promise of our resurrection. Um, uh, he has robbed the devil of ultimate power because those are the two things he had to throw at us. He could throw our sin at us. He could throw death at us. But yet the devil... The devil has been made into a uh, um, a purpose, or a weak and and muted foe and rival. And so, when we think about this, we remember who our king is, and we remember the ultimate rest that our king will provide, as he he does bring us according to his time and at his working and at his will to our final victory um, on the last day when we are risen from the dead. That. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more death. The devil will no longer have influence or power uh, over the people of God. And, and that's our hope, our comfort, uh, and the, the final consummation of all that God does for us. Pastor Jacob Dandy is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California, helping us today with Joshua chapter 12, verses 1 to 24. Pastor Dandy, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, it's been great. Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has defeated our greatest enemies. Those who would claim authority over us are no more. In the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, he reigns over us as our good and gracious King, ascended into heaven and returning on the last day to take us to the resurrection of the dead. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Joshua, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. 
You can also use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.